Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Good morning and happy Tuesday, gentlemen. How are you this morning? There it is. That's what we're looking for. That's perfect, man. We're back at it again. Another week, what they say, another day, another dollar. So, mo money, mo money. And here we go. The circle turn. Right. Wait. Uh, as the world turns. Right? Yes. <laughs> Do you know that one? Do you know the no. I, it's that's, old soap opera, man. That's an old soap opera, I believe. <laughs> like the soap operas, they would run all day long. Sorry. Wow. That was, that was I would. Crazy. I would actually not watch them. I would. I would not uh, have any pay attention to those Neither things. Neither would I. But it was like what your moms used to watch mm-hmm. growing up. Couple of things in the news article. Anything, any news or worthy items? Actually, before we do that, let's do a quick um, topic today. Our topic today will be all around grabbing a whole bunch of items from the mailbag, and we're just going to kind of do a hot take and quickly run through them uh, in an expedient way. Um, so Tommy is going to list us some topics. We're gonna, he's going to ask us some questions, and then from there we'll just kind of take a quick uh, answer because we've we've actually had a, a lot of mailbag items pop up. So that'll be our episode for today. We'll be talking about a lot of kind of random questions that'll probably be all over the board. We will likely get stuck on one of them and discuss and argue about one topic, but usually that's how it works with us. We have this grand idea of planning out what these episodes are going to look like, and we just wind up bickering about something small. <laughs> with that, I, don't, but, I don't know what I don't know what you're talking about, the hours of preparation. Oh, yeah. hours and hours of preparation. Yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. We prepare for this. Um, <laughs> in... News, any other articles and or newsworthy items that came out this week for everyone? I would say I there's lots of stuff coming out, but there is not 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 anything of substance, I guess, that I would call out specifically. I would say there's a lot of what I would maybe call it. Would you call it quality of life type items that are happening inside fabric? And it seems like fabric's getting a lot more of the investment right now. There's a lot of, Mm -hmm. you know, more more warehouse support more um you know other features that are fabric related one of the ones that i saw come out this week that i i'm actually quite excited about is the ability no i wouldn't i wouldn't call it oh, sorry. Life. i'd call okay. it um all of the features table that are in in the product yeah in the product <laughs> and being announced prior to ga because they exist in the product but just not the fabric product oh that's true okay yeah so not quality of life just yeah. Just trying to get back to ground zero again. Yes, yes. Agree with that one. That that is a fair assessment. A lot of these features, and this is what I've been saying from day one. They were like, well, you know, my clients are like, well, we want to know, like, should we move over to fabric? Is this great? Should we just start? I'm like, well, like, if you already have something built in, like, Azure Data Factory somewhere else, it's probably a bit more feature rich to go stay in Azure Data Factory for now before you move over to fabric because it's, there's, it's still a little bit hard to work with. Certainly want to test a lot of things. A lot of testing. Take your take your workloads from your old environment and try and move them over to the new environment because it is it is distinctly different. Just because they have the same name like SQL Warehouse doesn't and mean they have the same capability. <laughs> Quite yet. Very Come true. On. I mean, yes. we're we're being a little glib, obviously, but. Um, you know, I, I did I did find so there was an announcement yesterday, and what we're talking about is things like in the Lake House, you can now do SP underscore rename. Yep, that's that's a function in SQL. It's been there for many many years. Now it's in Fabric, so it's it's an announcement. Hey, featuring like it's so the nice thing is 
is if you're not familiar with that, now you know the new function. Right? Exactly. It's kind of like a re- rehash of like, oh my gosh, like it's amazing. <laughs> this is so Parrish, helpful. I miss SSIS. <laughs> <laughs> it's one, one of the features that I'm actually am very happy that has come out recently is um, if you were going to create tables in the lake house, um, you had to previously write a notebook. You had to run a SQL command called SQL optimize and or SQL vacuum to clean stuff up. You now have the ability to do the optimize command directly on the table. So now it's a right click menu option on top of the tables that are in your lake house. This is amazing and very good for um, um, when you have tables that you have lots of tiny files or you're loading lots of things. It definitely just compacts them and makes them optimized for read and write. It will definitely speed up your performance. Things like Data Factory, are, I think Data Factory doesn't have that exact option if you write things into a table, as well as Dataflows Gen 2 do not have an automatic optimized function in them. So having that as a part of the right-click menu options, I think will be helpful. So I'm very excited about that as well. It'd be nice if they also had a optimize and vacuum command as well, because if you're going to optimize the table, it does you no good just to optimize it only yeah. and not clean out all the old files you don't need. What is the order of operation? Like vacuum and then optimize, right? It, I, well, vacuum, I think you would like to, I think you want to optimize it then vacuum because optimize basically says if you oh, have it clean, it cleans and yeah. hold them together and say, look, you had a thousand files. I can do this in three files. It will compact them down to three files. And then what it, when, it, when you do the optimize, it says we're no longer using these other tables. Then when you run the vacuum step, it says Got you it. these deletion these files to be deleted in seven days so then it marks the files for deletion and then seven days later when if you run another vacuum step it will physically say okay we can rem- we can now remove those files which i found something very interesting in my fabric tenant usage um where i ran an optimize i ran a vacuum i waited seven days i ran another vacuum so the files would actually be removed the files were no longer being referenced inside the lake house However, my lake house report, the, the fabric capacity lake house reporting, didn't actually show a drop until like 30 days later. So hmm. there must be some kind of retention policy that lives inside the, the one lake environment that I wasn't aware of or you can't see or adjust that was keeping those files around a little bit longer than even my environment. So it took a while for it to actually delete the files, but after eventually this huge drop came in my lake. I'm like, oh, look, the files have finally been removed. So that was good to know. Anyways, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure how all this works a little bit yet. So I'm, I'm still a little bit leery on what Microsoft is putting together here because I don't feel like I have a full comfort yet about what's happening. Anyways, good stuff. Did you, did you guys see the uh, uh, bringing your own library into Microsoft Fabric? Um, that... Especially, I don't know if you guys saw, but yesterday was uh, OpenAI's conference mm-hmm. uh, or their dev day. And apparently what they announced, this idea called assistance, which anyone can do without any coding. I've already been kind of tinkering or playing around with how could that work with everything already in uh, like in a notebook, right? Because rather than having to deal with all this code, dude, what... Um, what OpenAI has been doing is going to go perfectly with the semantic model and actually just grabbing a few columns. And I, I really do love that you can upload your own um, kind of your own requirements, your own environment to Fabric. I'm 
I'm a little bit hesitant on this because I've gotten burned a number of times by adding my own libraries into a Spark engine. Now, I, be I believe this is all, my understanding is this is Python code running in the, the example they give you, this is Python code running in a local um, VS Code instance. And they're doing a what they call a pip install, which allows you to install libraries or things on top of the Spark engine, the Fabric engine, is how I read it. I could be wrong on this. But this is very heavily dependent on whoever makes the package and making sure that your Fabric has the right runtime so that they work together. Yeah. If you ever run a package that is out of support or the Spark engine updates and you don't have your package updated, you will be forced, or it'll just break. It'll stop working and you won't be able to use not everything is backwards compatible to some degree so, some of those some of those breaks are insanely hard to find too so hard like, anyways and it's it's just changing the runtime on a cluster or something like that yep and and i don't even know if you can honestly i don't know if you can pick yeah. in in the fabric world i don't know if you can pick which runtime you're pick running on yeah it's a little bit trickier so anyways i like the idea that you can do it i think it will definitely solve some use cases for people who need to have some custom code cool I would just caution you very much against it because I, I have gotten burned by it a number of times where things just totally stopped working and it wasn't very easy to get things fixed again. So anyways, just be aware. I think it's cool. Um, I have gotten personally burned by it. I will not use it. Yeah, it, it is still pretty buggy in terms of you try to uh, import a package and it'll tell you there's an error copy the, and it tells you the copy of the error log, which then it gives you another error. So you're like, okay, cool. I don't know if you guys saw this, but there was a there was a tweet sent out by someone. I don't know if it was um, off of the Microsoft team, um, but I had made a comment. It was on Twitter, uh, I believe. You made a comment somewhere? Are you kidding? Really? Well, it was a, it was around this whole idea of like, um, I think it was around the statement around the now auto the optimize. You now you can optimize on a table itself, and I said. Really, the challenge is, and I was looking at Microsoft's, or Microsoft's Databricks environment. So this is going to maybe go off too far in a tangent. Well, you know, pull me back in here if I'm going too far out here. But the comment was, hey, look, we have a now a right-click optimize on these tables. That's kind of the comment I made earlier. But with this, I said, look, this is really fine. This is very cool. I love the fact that we can optimize my right-click menu. It'll definitely help out a lot for some of our business users. But I said, really, the challenge here is how do you design the right partition strategy and how do you design the right um, uh, size of files? Like there's, there's a whole bunch of things you can do to optimize what, how many files you have, what are the size of those files? How do you opt, like what's the partitioning strategy for this table? Because how you read and write that table is highly dependent on your partition strategy. And I just watched a Databricks, um, they're using AI to help you build optimization mm. on top of your delta tables and databricks and i was like this is where that, ai should be applied use. yeah because if you have really large tables and you're not quite sure what is the partition strategy they talked about this idea of like the large customer i have a lot of records and i have one customer that's really large but i have a lot of other small customers well, when you partition by customer you get this one massive partition for one person yeah. and all these smaller really really small partitions for everyone else so it's actually it, it the, the the ai they've been able to make a model using, you know, millions of Delta tables that are being split up all across Databricks and basically optimize it for you. 
I'm like, that's what I, that's what I want Microsoft to do. Like where are the hardest charge challenges working with data? Yeah. It's, it's this idea of, I have data that needs to be, I have data that's coming in that's being restated, which makes it challenging. So how do I handle restatements of data? I have data that comes in incrementally day by day, but I need to have a full year view of that, how to make that easy for me. And I have this challenge around, well, how do I pick the right design of the Delta table? Yes, it's very cheap to store things, fine, whatever. You know, it, it, I can get away with a lot of not well-designed things, but if I want it to be fast, everything we do in the lake house, it's all pay per use. So I want everything to be fast and efficient. Therefore, I want Microsoft to figure that out. Like, hey, I'll throw you a table, Microsoft. You just figure out the best way to store it most efficiently. So that way, all my reads on it are fast and optimized. All my writes on it are fast and optimized. And there's all this really interesting tech that they were building out there. So I'm, I'm hoping Microsoft's listening to what others are doing in this industry, because I think Delta is the way to go. It will be the format that everyone's going to use, and it's becoming more universal. Now it's going to be who can optimize it better. Yeah, I'll I'll tell you though that's a compelling story. If that's if that's if that's a oh yeah a a a marketing pitch or a, like a, something they're gonna ride. I that's very competitive. If, if I have a choice between one service that just charges me, yep. right, and 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 without the granularity of understanding like what things I can pick, or a service that is telling me, listen, this is a service we're gonna we're already gonna make this as optimal as possible. But as things change, it's automatically going to adjust yep. and and remain optimal, and and there's a cost difference in there, like yep. because now everything's running so much more efficiently, like it all these things run really well right now, right? Oh, totally. It it's it's not until you like run into this buffer of like why is why did this jump? Why why I'm looking mm -hmm. at a cost increase somewhere line, along the lines yep. where it's like oh we didn't vacuum and clean up our tables and there's just a, a an immense amount of extra yes. data that we're not doing anything oh okay um why isn't this running as efficiently as it possibly could like oh it's because we need to repartition things and you know the further down those rabbit holes of like hardcore data engineering you need to go the yep. more time consuming they are right yes so if you're going to solve those problems <laughs> and and make your service more like i can extend it further hmm, i'd say that's compelling <laughs> i and I and I put the I put the link to the session in there, and I was like, on the on the Twitter thread, Justina, who's the PM for a lot of the the AI yeah. and Microsoft big data stuff around Spark, it's like, she's like, yeah, we're we're definitely looking at to it. This is the next step for them, I think. But to me, this whole point is, Microsoft is definitely in this catch up mode. They will probably build a very easy UI on top of these very complicated things. It won't always have to be done in a notebook. I like where they're going with this. I just also think Microsoft will need a bit more time to continue to round out and refine the experience of yeah. this whole lake house thing. And it will get really good. It's already getting really good. I really love the experience of making Delta tables and having data sets already built on top of it. That That's a great experience. I really like it. So they're doing a lot of good things. It's just going to be, we need to, them to continue refining the edges and sanding it down and making it more clean over time. Indeed. Anyways. Enough of our intros. Um, Tommy, I'm not seeing any topics come through, so I'm going to push oh, it to I, you. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Okay. So let's go through just a couple random topics. These are all from the mailbag. Uh, Seth, you want to take the first one here and read us out the uh, first topic idea? This is from We Have No Idea, so add your name at the end of your comment. Thank you for your show. I've been enjoying it for a few months now. I'd like to say I'm new to data work, but I have been working as an analyst for a few years now. 
I've observed that my data warehouse goes out and grabs a massive chunk of data from source databases and brings it into the DW and overwrites 99% of the exact same data that is already in the warehouse. Then my on-prem Power BI reports do the same thing, bring in a massive, a mass of data from the data warehouse, 99% of which was brought in yesterday. This feels wrong. Is there <laughs> any way to just grab the new data? Is this the way it has to be, or is it a bad data smell? Being relatively new, I don't know how, but I think there must be a better way. You are. This was my. This was my comment just like two seconds ago. Like, this is the stuff that it should be making easier. Yes, there's definitely a better way. Tommy, how would you kick this one off? What would you? What would your first part of response be here for this? Uh, for this question. Yeah, this goes exactly with the what we've talked about. Where we're opening up to the masses, data for everyone, fat, you know, fabric everything, but a lot of people, they don't know where to start. Uh, and you can't blame anyone for, Oh, here's a data warehouse. Now, mm-hmm. uh, you know, now you're, it's going to have all the configuration with all the settings and all the bells and whistles. And there's really no, you know, helper tools there. It's kind of like, okay, it looks fine today. It looks fine right now, mm-hmm. but these are the kind of things that you would never know what happened. It's not like we're, it's, they introduce a new application or you get a new app and all these helper uh, pop-up messages come up like, Hey, notice that you're trying to create a view in the, a, a data warehouse. Did you know this is what can happen? Or, Hey, uh, you I know, think the, this, this is a da- fabric question though. Yeah. But it's still dealing with the data, the data warehouse though. No. Mm. It's just talking generally data. Yeah. I'm bringing, I have the, the data warehouse is coming from the source system. So they're potentially using like a data flow or they're doing, you know, the operational system is pulling all this net new data into the data warehouse. Which they didn't say where the data house lived. I'm assuming that's not in Fabric yet. Sure. It's still kind of new. But which then is, all the data sets go yeah. back and refresh, full refreshes on everything as well. So, did, go ahead, Tommy. Did you, did you want to come no, 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 close keep, up those thoughts? Keep going, keep going, keep going. Okay. I think in this recommendation, what I would say here is, Yes, there is a feature that you're looking for, and it's called incremental refresh. So the idea is you're only looking for the last day or two of information. And there's two challenges that I think that come along with this one is there is data that has to be restated. So for example, if today I refresh all the data from yesterday, usually or in some systems, they will let you update records from yesterday or update the version of those records. So there's always this concept of there's there's potentially after the day occurred updates in the system that need to be made what you'll what i find is there's a window of time and when those updates start getting less and less frequent over time so a week a two weeks a month two months there is a cycle by which the data starts getting static Um, and so they have in the incremental refresh process of power bi desktop so you actually can set up to do incrementally refreshing data you're you're looking for good patterns where you're always appending net new data, so you can just delete the last n number of days and replace them, or the last n number of months. So an incremental refresh would be very good in this situation where you could say, look, I will always reload the last two months of data every single day. So it will just drop those two months, it'll then reload that data, and that way you're not loading, You know, if you had three years of data in there, you're not reloading the entire table all the time. I would also agree, it. you're right, this is a wasteful process, um, but there are tables that you have in your data system that you just need to do a full reload no matter what. 
And where I found the challenge here lies is if you can't track your deletes in a table from the source system, if there's not a way of tracking those deleting records, that's where all this stuff falls apart. And so, um, again, really depends on your data systems. Some had some systems have here's a record I created it here's the created date here's the updated date and here's the deleted date of that record and so the record never actually disappears it actually tells you when it was created when it was updated and when it was removed because then you can actually use that information to do filtering or whatever you want in your data set to get rid of records that are no longer required uh, in your final data set so that'd be my answer just <clears throat> incremental refresh but you're gonna have to go through and evaluate all your tables and figure out what can you actually incrementally load or what can you what do you have to full load every time well and key, you, key, keyword being incremental right so if if mm -hmm. they're also loading full reloading everything in the warehouse like like take take a look at that there are plenty of like different methods or there should be by which you can create processes that incrementally add data to you know certain certain tables and not have to reload everything mm -hmm. um so I think that that's the keyword on both of those points, but it's two touch points. I'd look at your ETL, right, into the yeah. data warehouse, how the data warehouse is structured, because if it is structured right, like, like I'm, I'm not aware of methods where it's like I would have to reload every single table every time. Um, but in, in both those areas and Mike's description of incremental refresh, like both those are areas that save an immense amount of money, even in the Power BI refreshing like yeah. not having to reload a mo like a complete model reload every day yeah versus you know a few thousand few hundred few million depending on what size of business you are um could be a substantial cost savings yeah and then you look amazing i think you look like you're saving a ton of money right. again it's just being smart with your data like what yeah. if your data is new and even in incremental refresh you can do auto detection on top of that you can auto detect when the partition's old so if you if you have records in your system that has a creation date and an update date, you can part you can load data by creation of records because that way any new records appear, and then you can verify that if the record was updated, you can use that as your detect data changes feature, because what that does is it will let you go through and slowly load older partitions in time when only one record or something has been replaced. So again, this is a this is a lot more management on like what's happening inside the data set. So, right good question there. Want to move on to the next uh, random question, Tommy? Yes, this is from 1025. I'll, I'll see how well I can uh, narrate like Seth. Um, no pressure. Lots thanks for pressure. your great efforts. I've been listening to your podcast for more than nine months. We got a nine-monther. I wish if you could cover support for PBI report server. Uh, tweaks, tricks, hints, etc. My company is hesitant to load its data to the cloud. We installed the report server and currently use it for our internal use. Awesome. Uh, well, so I, my hint and trick, trick will be is kill that thing as soon as possible and get it into the cloud. <laughs> I know most organizations can't immediately do that. It's definitely a good first step. I will say this. I, I honestly, I got to be honest. I don't frankly spend a ton of time on Power BI report server, but it's so feature behind compared to the service. So I'll have to lean on maybe Tommy and Seth. Do you have any other tips or tricks that you have found when working with Report Server? I mean, it's it's really hard to customize it, except for probably the folder aspect. Mm -hmm. um, That's a good point. 
Yeah. This is the only thing on his folders. I had a really good conversation with some people. Um, and I had a really good conversation around this particular topic going, we're used to using report server and in report server, you have a different security mechanism because you can secure a folder, each of the folders and nest those folders in hierarchies, right? You could have a main folder and you can do subfolders and you can give very metered access to where reports are going to be accessed for those users. But essentially it's just a file store, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works. Would you guys agree? Uh, that that's how you could set it up. Sure. For sure. So yeah. the challenge was in thinking about, so the hint or tips or trick here, as you're thinking about migrating from report server into like workspaces, it's not quite a one-to-one of like a workspace is a folder. You could potentially do some of that, but I think it's the combination of a workspace is for your creators of content. And then your folder structure becomes a combination of apps and app audiences. audiences. Yep, yep. Yeah. So recommendation. I, I think I would really, if you're going to be using report server, and again, I would also echo too. look at the documentation from Microsoft about people pushing cloud into PowerBay.com. I would highly recommend if you're going to go to Microsoft PowerBay.com, make sure you understand what's in the admin settings of your tenant. There are some things you will mm-hmm. want to adjust. You'll need to go either study up on it yourself or go get some training around what's inside the admin center. Um, and make sure you go through those in a very detailed space. Think through what your data policies will be with Power BI, because you can shut off a lot of things and reduce what you would call you know, business risk around making sure you have the right settings checked in the admin side of things. So I would definitely recommend that for sure if you're going to go to the cloud as well. I would not stay in report server. Yeah, not unless you have to. I mean, like, I know government, but even government has its own online, I think. They got their own cloud. Yeah. Their own cloud, right? Yeah, like, they got their own There's Microsoft. just so many benefits, especially you're you're using Power BI. Mike, Microsoft is probably the best company, bar none, that takes data security and security exceptionally, it, like, it's top of mind in everything they do, right? Like, if if... I would recommend moving to the cloud. <laughs> there, there's no reason to be, mm-hmm. you know, where we were five, ten years ago. Of yes. People, this newfangled thing that people don't understand. Everybody clearly understands it. And if you're not using, utilizing it and using it, you're actually, I, I would argue, putting yourself at a disadvantage, disadvantage with other, um, uh, other companies. I'll also kind of just throw out just my personal preference here in this one. Many companies that I see staying on prem. They're not even up to date on the existing hardware they have. Yeah, or, they're more vulnerable. They're, yes. So in my opinion, mm-hmm. like what I've seen is one of the major moves or one of the major reasons why companies try to move away from on-prem into cloud is because the cloud is a software as a service. It's always up to date. Any security patches are coming multiple times per month. Desktop is in, in PowerBay.com is getting multiple updates per month, little things here yeah. and there and tweaks here and there. So... In my opinion, I think it's actually better to lean on Microsoft and let them own the infrastructure. And now with Fabric, I mean, now with Fabric, it's, it's amazing because I don't have to manage the blob storage. I don't have to manage the Spark clusters. I don't have to manage the <laughs> yeah. notebooks. Like all this oh, stuff that is part like. part I could argue. <laughs> like <it> was, well, <laughs> well, and to some degree, though, I don't want to manage it, though. I just want it to I work. I get it. I get it. But the, and I agree 100% if underneath the covers, like we talked about in the opener, I know everything is being optimized Correct. in the most efficient yes. way. And Agree right with you. now, 
I don't, I don't know that. And that, and that would be my hesit. That's like my, my hesitation. But for someone who's, I mean, if you're going from report server into, you know, the first time into yeah. the cloud, like this is a good place to start. I do think there are better tools for data engineering than what Microsoft has provided. I think you can do really well. Data flows Gen Two is quite buggy for me. It's been getting better, but it still feels quite buggy. I'm going to lean on something here that Tommy and I have talked about a long time in the past. Dataflow's Gen 2 feels a lot like um, metrics or goals, initially called goals when that came out. Yeah. Like it was a really neat feature. I was very excited about it. And then I was like, mm, it doesn't really work. It doesn't do what I want. I can't make it. It doesn't make me happy like to work with the experience. Well, a year and a half later, they kept adding features and de developing it and refining it. And now you look at it going, oh, dang this is a pretty solid feature like this, this can really do some work. Yeah. So I feel like it's going to be a very similar thing with Dataflow's Gen 2. It's just a little bit too far behind Dataflow's Gen 1. It's getting way better. And the more they invest in fixing it, I think it'll be a very solid tool moving forward. Yeah. And I, I think final comment here is like, all, I think our recommendations are go cloud. And, and the reason for that though is Microsoft made Power BI reports ever work because of the on-prem mm. push right out of the gate, but they're yes. not investing in it. So, like, if you think about tweaks, tricks, hunt, like, there's no innovation happening against that, from my understanding. They're at least nowhere near like what it's going to be in the cloud and in services, and with all the attention on Fabric, like, you're you're stuck with an ecosystem. So, mm -hmm. like, enjoy it, like, but like, do we spend a lot of time in there, like, like? enhancing it and creating this no it's a platform that if it works for your organization that's great but you know like innovate one other thing i'll put on here as well is um microsoft came out with a really good layer documentation melissa coates did an incredible job running out the adoption roadmap there is now another section inside the documentation here called implementation planning and it talks about your bi strategy your tenant settings, your tools and devices, how do you set up workspaces and security? It talks one layer deeper than the adoption roadmap, which is very high level and talking about data culture. I think your question is really sitting around, our data culture says we need to stay on-prem. And I think your question here, if I had to read between the lines a little bit is, I think we should be able to change our data culture and get them more acceptable or help, help them be comfortable changing our data culture and going into more of a cloud and powerbi.com environment. So I think you actually have more of a people problem here where you're going to need to manage the story. And the goal of this, my opinion here, if I'm going to, if I'm going to solve this, I'm going to go try and find, make sure we have an executive sponsor. I'm going to make sure they buy into going to powerb.com. Because if you don't have that at the top, you're going to just want to stay with with uh, uh, Power BI report server. And you're, you probably won't be able to get the adoption, the buy-in that you need, because there is a level of education and or um, push across the organization to have them understand how now this new ecosystem works inside powerbay.com. So that would be another another uh, link here. I'll throw it here in the window. I'll grab the introduction to the implementation strategy because I think this is another great place for you to go read up more about this stuff as well. All right, I guess I'll take the third one here. We got another question here. Uh, around Power BI, now Fabric. Uh, workspace creation policy for a self-service BI. What should an organization policy for creating Power BI workspaces in order to support a self-service Power BI within the organization? Here are some of my factors. The factors are, one, 
I want to prevent the explosion of a number of workspaces. If there's a problem in a workspace, will those problems increase exponentially because I have a lot more workspaces to deal with? Why don't we, well, we don't worry about the explosion of the number of child folders in an organization in a shared drive, so why is this a problem around Power BI workspaces? That's a good question on like part 1A. Number two, can only one app be published from a workspace? Therefore, a single team will need multiple workspaces to contribute to the explosion, which will be contributing to the explosion of workspaces. Question number three around this one. Who should be allowed to create a workspace? Another subsequent question in there. Does IT create workspaces and for, for requested users and teams? Number four. Should there be a naming standard and or pattern to the naming of your workspaces? If so, why? All right. This is a great question. Workspace management is, I think, where this is kind of coming from. All right, gentlemen, tear this one apart. I got thoughts on this one. What do you got for us? I'm going to see if I'm going to argue with you because. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to, I'm going to lean on this area of, is it certified or is it not? I think there is a barrier that if data is coming out of the central team and we're expecting people to trust it, I think you're talking about certified workspaces, certified data sets and certified reports. So first and foremost, the organization should be able to be able to create a lot of workspace. Now, this will depend on your organization. Some companies will want to be more hands-off and will allow users to create their own workspaces as needed. Other organizations don't want to do that. And their internal policy, this is a policy that needs to be made organization by organization. However, if you're going to lock off or shut off the ability for anyone to create workspaces in your organization, I think at a minimum, you need a policy or a justification for the business unit to come back and say, hey, I need a workspace and here's what I'm going to use it for. So there's kind of two ends of the spectrum. One is there should be a small number of certified workspaces with good data in them that are being serviced to the broader part of the organization. Part two of this is decide whether or not your organization is allowing anyone to create a workspace or you need to have that closed off. If you have it closed off, make sure you document that process put a form on a SharePoint page, explain to people how they would go get access to a workspace. So, in, and that way IT can slowly meter the rollout of workspaces. So those are my initial thoughts. I have more thoughts around apps and app audiences. And I think that will also help out here to keep the proliferation where, of workspaces down. So where does your opinion lie? Like where, what do you, how do you think it should be applied? Well, I, I, I really think- Do you think control workspaces on, or do you know? I don't, I don't think I have an opinion one direction or the other. I think the business, because I see it working well in both directions. I yeah. see some organizations uh, finding value and letting it go wide open. Innovation kind of runs rampant and wild. However, with that comes a bit more management expert, you know, on your IT or central BI team, right? So if you let, if you let the organization build whatever workspaces they want, now you have to be more rigorous around identifying what content is certified. I think that's that's an increased effort. If you have IT manage it, I still don't think you ever, I don't think you close off and never give anyone extra workspaces, but I do also see value from the IT playing a central role in managing those workspaces for teams of people. So I see it both ways. And I actually, I see it successfully working in both types of environments. 
it really depends on does your culture in your, your it's just a data culture question. Does your culture in the company require that there's a central team and is that central team large or not? If that's a very large central team that can handle the build of a lot of these things for you, or you can offload this to a ticketing system where that can happen in an automated way, then I would say yes. You, you let the central team control more of the workspace creation. If you don't have that capability and you're just looking to use utilize Power BI in very big organizations I've seen, they don't have enough central team to actually manage all this for you. So they have to think of another way to give a bit more control to the business. Yeah. I I, I lean more towards the control side, but uh, not to the point where it it's handled by a team. So I, I guess more more upfront thinking, right? Guide, mm-hmm. guidance, guidance for best use cases. Sure. You know, like, and, and one of the reasons for that is like you think about um, the proliferation of folders in SharePoint, right? How do I how do I find things becomes the the question a lot of times. Or like we have so many things within the ecosystem. Like, didn't you know somebody created this report? Like he can share it with you, or you know they can share it with you from over here. And yep, it it becomes quite a, a mess. So um, at at minimum, I would say, hey, just here's some good practices, right? Like you can you can have the freedom to build out workspaces and use them in your groups as you would need, but here's the purpose of a workspace. Here's how we share things. You know, like mm-hmm. aim to to shoot for these goals because it's going to help the organization in you know these ways, and this is how the team's going to be interacting with you and you know whatever. But yeah, I agree. Like if unless you have the one person that's a constant support of like, hey, I need this workspace created, and they're doing that diligence against yep. guidelines and best practices for the organization that are defined or governance rules. Like that, that'd be a boring job. <laughs> but at the same time, though, um, this can get out of hand very yeah. quickly with the way organization is. Um, yep. And again, even if you're small business, I, I'm completely worried about this. If you're, even if you have managed self-service, if you have the hub and spoke approach, I mean, the, the amount of replication that you have to do one, you better know how to use the API or have some app yeah. to create your dev prod. And then to try to, to try to manage that. Um, unfortunately too, the only way to actually see all the data that's going on is the scanner API. However, um, you know, it only runs in batches of like 100 workspaces. But the idea that every team, every department has three or four workspaces for a deployment pipeline um, and de- de- depending on those roles, I am st- in. You're making some very the, broad assumptions. I, I, mm, I don't think I'm giving a deployment pipeline to a business unit, frankly. That's to me, that's not that's that is to me a certified layer of data that I would say. A deployment pipe that's premium too so either you're buying premium per user things but to me a pipeline data pipeline deployment pipeline that's starting to feel like more this is a certified data set area and that i would agree that should be managed by a central team you're going to have more people in that team that are developer centric as opposed to hey i'm just a business person i'm going to go randomly grab some data stick it together in a power bi report and just be done with it does that make sense like you're, you're, sure. To me, you're touching on a bit more of like the higher premium end features of Power BI, and I would not expect a normal business user to understand or use them. 
Yeah, but at the same time, though, I mean, you're you're still dealing. Okay, so yeah, maybe the business is not going to have deployment pipelines. But if you're in an enterprise organization, you're going to have teams who are more than just, you know, the high level business creating a report here and there. Where if you really truly have that uh, hub and spoke approach, those spokes are kind of on their own with their own deployments, with their with their own process of creating reports. So they're going to need some of that configuration because it's, are you going to just give them a dev and prod workspace where they're going to do the old, uh, old fashioned way of create, uh, uploading to dev and then deleting it and then republishing it. Do, I don't think do so. Do I care to like, that's their data. It's a pet. It's to me, it, li it lives more of a, who's going to own it. Right. So if you think about this is, and this is some of the diagrams that come off of the Microsoft Power BI adoption roadmap, there's a great diagram on there that describes the blend of is everything is the data set and report going to be made by the business is the data set going to be made by it and reports made by the business or is the report and the data set going to be made by it or the central bi team whatever that is right so depending on the mix of what you think is going to, need to be built here i would argue the 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 brains of your operation should focus on building solid models that could be reused in multiple ways so when the business is asking for, I need access to data, you want to centralize the hard stuff. The hard stuff is making the model that could be reused in many different situations. So I would, my opinion here is I feel like more organizations should focus on the modeling exercise from a central BI team. One, it's a bit more fun because I enjoy the modeling side of things. And then offload some more of the reporting pieces. Like there may be like a handful of reports that the central team does, but really push that reporting element onto the business side, let them own it. But I think this is where data stewardship and like the content management piece comes into place here because I don't want to own everything unless I have enough budget to put in a really big team around it, right? And to Steph, uh, Steph's making a comment here in, on LinkedIn. Steph, I would agree with your comment. Um, it is difficult to put the genie back in the bottle in this situation. So if you just open it wide open with no policy, no planning to this, it's almost impossible to get it back together you, or you'll spend a lot of effort doing it. So I really do think you should roll it out slowly over time because there is an education pattern that needs to happen, I think, here with the business as they understand what is a workspace? How do I make an app? Who owns what stuff inside these things? Yeah. I, I As we're talking, I think this falls into the same thing. Like, Start out slow, like probably more controlled with yes. with a um, with a bent towards you know hub and spoke. It's, mm -hmm. It works with you too, Tommy. Right? You don't just open up the doors. Correct. You, you control it for a while, educate as much as possible, create guidance and guide, guardrails, and then you know I, I would say open up the doors because you don't want to manage that. No. As a, as a central team, you're not, you're not going to want to be in the business of managing creating workspaces, but you also don't want the uh, adverse side effects of just letting people do something without any understanding of what the purpose of these object is mm -hmm. and creating, you know, a, a mess. So we That's found a really good question. somewhat agreement. Yes. I, I will say the only other one I will note here is they talk about this only one app published per workspace. Um, I would highly recommend you look into app audiences because app audiences allow you to take a single app and break it into chunks so that different people can view different things inside that app. So 
Um, yes, it is only going to be one app per one workspace, but you no longer need to have that capability of having, you know, seven workspaces just because the audience of the people change based on those, those grouping of reports. Use the app audiences to do that as well. Great question. All right, Seth, I believe it's over to you for our, maybe our last question. We've got a couple minutes left here. Want to take our next one, Seth? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to, man, this one's going to be difficult because there is actually a name and it's a hard one. So... Hi, Mike, Seth, and Tommy. In the prefabric era, as far as I know, the most optimal architecture for data set and report development was the following. Collect data sources into data flows, create shared data sets which load data from the data flows, create reports built upon the shared data sets. In the fabric era, how does the optimal architecture look like for data set and report development? Ooh. Is the prefabric architecture described above still the most optimal? If not, what is your idea on it? Power BI Desktop will remain the primary tool for data set development or Power BI Service, or will Power BI Service take its place? So there's kind Ooh. of a side question. Thanks for your time. <sighs> Regards, Belage, B-L-A-H-E-Z-S. Blaze, I'll go with it. Looks good to me. Thanks Ship for it. the question. Great question. So first and foremost, the Power BI Service will definitely take over desktop at some point. <laughs> I mean, I'm just... <laughs> It's going to be a better, it's already becoming a better experience already. I will say this. My initial reaction to this one is, does the pattern change? Data flows, tables, data set, report. My answer is going to be no, because the pattern is still the same. You're still making tables of data, except now you've been equipped with a lake house, a Spark notebook, a data flows gen 2, a Kusto engine, a SQL server. So I don't think it's changing in reality. I think you're doing the same thing. Nothing's changed per se. It's now a matter of which compute engine do you need to use in order to make the table. And I think, I mean, I think that's kind of how I would summarize it. So I don't think you're changing it. The architecture just now grows. You're bringing a lot of a, a lot newer tools or different tools into how do I create those tables. That's all the thing I think is seen as changing here. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't say we're ready to like say things are going to change, but are, are with, with everything getting rolled into the different, with, with everything getting rolled into the workspace and mm -hmm. all of those features and capabilities available and granted they're harder engineering, they're, they're heavier on engineering. Yes. Does it challenge data flows? Like, do I, do I need data flows if I have access to other paths of ETL and creating objects that I can directly plug into? I think, I think the answer is yes. I think, I think you could definitely start with data flows, especially if you have smaller data. But I've, definitely, I've seen some notes here on Twitter and some other people saying that the Spark engine is really fast. And when you're doing larger amounts of data, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of rows of data, yeah. you will likely graduate out of data flows because data flows is very, I love it. It's a very UI click, you know, click, draggy drop. It's a very easy to use situation. So I really like that. Um, the other thing here I'd also argue with is in data flows, you're also seeing now Microsoft is trying to build this thing called pipelines. Sometimes you just need to get the data to your lake or get the data into a table format. The pipelines experience is designed to be that at scale, large amounts movement of data at high speeds and very efficient. So 
data flows is good, but it's still single threaded. It doesn't really, it doesn't always run as fast as it needs to. So what I see happening mm -hmm. here is you're getting more tools that are more capable around data movements or data engineering pieces that are going to help you handle larger amounts of data or the same amount of data in a faster way. Yeah, I think I think that's what's one of the most compelling things from the Fabric offering that I really like. I'm very interested to see how it evolves. Is you you the graduation from data flows is these services is these other higher volume uh, or systems that can handle higher volumes if that's the direction that you have to head. Um, but now that those are all within this same path, I th I think it brings the level of introduction into a realm that otherwise may not have been there. Mm -hmm. So look, no, uh, outside yeah. of that, um, Tommy, how do you feel about uh, the service taking over its Power BI desktop? You know how I feel. Um, I'm trying to find the article. <laughs> I am, I am acceptance, acceptance. <laughs> Tommy's in the denial phase right now. It's, it's, it's there's a, there's a, there's a moment like there's grieving the steps of grieving. Tommy's still in some <laughs> sections of grieving here. We, we have gone we have uh we're well past uh uh grieving now we we hit anger yeah, yeah. anger has we happened anger. um we had a lot of things but i'm Sorry. honestly like it, it's actually more enjoyable now and i'm diving into the dev container thing uh creating notebooks on the browser when it's not going to bog up my computer Tommy's in the in the bargaining um, stage right now you know he's he's, yeah. he's in that right now only if i could have some other things yep. um but there's actually a really interesting article and i'll, I'll have to find it i'll send it after uh, just about the querying of data and they they tested data flows pipelines and uh jupiter no is this from mim i think so MIM does a lot of testing around different systems and another one that i found very interesting here is there's this thing called duck db or something that's apparently very fast for querying data it still use, I think it still uses Delta tables, but Mim, I think also sent out a query, like if you import this library and use this inside fabric or inside the notebooks experience, you can reduce your query time like by half. I'm like, what the heck? This thing's really fast. So it, it opens up the world to your point, Tommy. All we're getting is more variety of tools where as an ad, so from a developer standpoint or from a business user, the business user is getting way more value now with these new tools like tons more stuff which is awesome on the flip side as an admin we now have way more stuff to manage like who's using what things where's this data going how are things going to be shared so i'm taking the same approach as what we said earlier about the workspaces i think it's going to be very valuable for us to to use these things however i want to start small i want to start with a very small team of people figuring out how the tool works where is the best place to do certain things because there's going to be an education curve for every organization to figure out okay well we used to do this stuff in a sql server using ssis packages what's the equivalent of that pattern yep. now inside fabric we were doing everything with azure data factory before what is the equivalent of that pattern that we can now do inside fabric so it's, it's a lot of things that you're, you already have tools that do the data engineering you need. The idea is where's the best, most optimal way of using the fabric tools to use them, do the same stuff you were doing before. So anyways, I really like it. I, I'm most worried about fabric in, in the capacity and usage side of things. 
that's what I'm most concerned about because it's all fine and dandy. Like before we had Power BI Premium, it was just loading data into data flows, running a data set. That's all the compute that we really needed, a front end and a back end, very simple. Now we've got Kusto and SQL Serverless, and now we've got you know Spark and we've got data flows gen two these are all different things that are all all they're going to do is consume more time on the processing time on your capacity units every one of these things are just going to consume more stuff so what does that mean how can i it's going to be in more important than ever to understand what is the right compute engine for the right type of job data engineering job you need because if i can run a 30 minute window of time on a data flow but I can do it in 15 minutes or 10 minutes in a Spark notebook. Well, I should learn Spark notebooks because then I can do that data, the same data, the same compute in like half or a third of the time. Like that's, there's going to be, there's a, there's an opportunity here to optimize your existing efforts using these new tools. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it kind of sparks this other thought. Ooh, Spark. I like the word you use there. Where, where I think, I think, well, one, Microsoft usually leaves it up to like uh, yeah. the the individual use cases of companies to do yep. the 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 comparison of costs. Mm-hmm. Where it's interesting to me, and I'm I would be cautious for them, is uh, hopefully Fabric performs better than those individualized service services mm-hmm. if people want to get onto Fabric. Yes, and and realize or see that the it doesn't perform as well. Yeah. Right. Like it. If I had it, an ADF pipeline that and, runs faster and, than and there's a fabric right. one, and then, that's a problem. Then, then the pains of going through yeah. what fabric solves related to combining all these services mm-hmm. together is still not worth it for some organizations if they have the skill sets to just Ooh. say, hey, like these these services already exist and independently I have more control mm-hmm. and we verified that it's going to cost us less. Yes. That would be a big barrier yeah. for entry of people adopting Fabric. I so, and I, which is I, which is where I go. Well, then why aren't you giving some recommendations around like whatever? Because like there is no mode of. I, I don't think Microsoft doesn't play this game of like, hey, you need to um, migrate onto Fabric. They're always about the net new build. Yes, but the the same principles apply, right? Yes. If I'm doing a net new build, and I'm doing my due diligence and POCing things. You can guarantee companies are going to be like, okay, well, if we're going to POC this, let's try it in Fabric. Yep. Let's try it with these services that we are independent in an ecosystem that we get much more control around. Which which one's more performant? Which one costs like X amount of dollars? Can we see how much X amount of dollars are being cost in these particular areas? You're challenging yourself against your own products, technically, That's- from a from a cost perspective. That's true. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, right? Like, but it it is it is it's a thought that sprang to my sparked to my head while you were talking through that area there is there is a i I will say this i think there's a large value add for companies to be able to see hey there is now less time required to be able to integrate multiple services together like i think this is a huge value add for i don't have to worry about a lot of the the virtual networks i don't have to worry about things talking to each other you can literally just use it out of the box i think that adds an immense amount of value and time are you managing connections, service principles, sure. all this other super technical stuff? So I think there's a, mm-hmm. but you, to your point, I didn't, I never thought of that, Seth. Like I never thought of like, 
what happens if I run the same pipeline inside Fabric as I do inside ADF, and do they run the same amount of time? Like, I haven't done that comparison yet, but that would be a great, like, if you have ADF stuff running already, doing the diff between what is that doing versus what's happening inside the new Fabric world, does it run faster? Have they been able to add more bits to make it more efficient? Maybe, maybe not. I have been hearing that Data Factory Gen 2 is faster than Data Factory Gen 1. So you you could potentially rebuild your Data Factory pipelines in Fabric and test those kind of side by side. And you should be seeing some performance improvement there as well. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how this is all going to pan out. Excellent. Interesting. Well, we only got through what? Four questions? That's actually not bad. It's not bad. I was, I was thought thinking we were going to rip through them. I thought we were going to just mean you folks get more podcasts in the future where we're just ripping through mailbag questions. And we certainly <laughs> do appreciate yeah. you sending in your questions. Uh, well, certainly. It, 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 it serves multiple different purposes and we get to kind of rip around how you guys are thinking about your worlds and uh, throw, throw our spin on things or some of the things that we have some uh, experience with. Yeah. With that, we appreciate your listenership. We thank you very much for taking an hour of your time and letting us ramble about random questions uh, from a mail, a number of mailbag or questions from the audience here. Hope you found one of these resonate with you. Um, we hope this is, it was a uh, maybe a bit educational piece of this, but maybe gave you some additional elements to think about. Our only request is if you like this content, if you like what you heard here, please share it with somebody else. Let somebody else know you found some interesting insights in the podcast. Uh, this is our candid conversation around Fabric and how Tommy hates uh, the the deprecation of desktop and how he's going to just cry and it's over. It's he's going to cry himself to sleep, uh, and and it'll be just be a bad day. We'll we'll enter the uh, the denial stage here at some point for Tommy, and we'll we'll have to get him over on board to all only using the service at some point. With that said, Tommy, where else can you find the podcast? Well, you can still find us online. You cannot download any app to find us. However. <laughs> <laughs> that's really good you can find us on apple spotify wherever get your podcast make sure to subscribe and leave a rating it helps us out a ton do you have a question idea or topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode uh head over to power bi tips slash podcast leave your name and a great question join us live every tuesday and thursday at 7 30 a.m central and join the conversation live thank you so much we appreciate you all very much and we'll see you next time <laughs>